Thank you, Azure, for that ministry and music. Thanks for joining us this evening. As Pastor Cruz said, as we continue in our memorable verses series, and I'll be making use again of the screen tonight, so all the scripture will be up there for you as we walk through once it comes back down. <laughs> so, our verse for this evening is Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and tonight we are going to, we are going to consider devotion, all right, devotion, and we have all heard the term or the phrase to be totally devoted. All right, we know stories of individuals giving themselves completely to a cause, and that cause of devotion can look and manifest itself in many different forms and fashions. For instance, someone can be completely devoted to fulfilling moral doctrines or philosophical causes. All right, so humanitarianism and libertarianism are just two examples, right? They're the ideas the mindset that the highest purpose in life is to improve human welfare or to liberate human lives. And as we know, those people can give their lives to these causes, to support food banks, to give to the homeless, to fund medical relief and provide nutrition to third world countries. One can give of their time and their efforts to these humanitarian intervention causes all sorts of ways to reach out and help those struggling and less fortunate. Individuals pour their lives into philosophical causes and we are thankful for many of their efforts. Someone can be fully devoted to their religion. Um, we have all heard of Buddhist monks who dedicate their lives to meditation and self-discipline in order to reach nirvana. All right, they will devote the entirety of their adult lives for the chance at a transcendent state. Um, some meditation can be so prolonged to the point that a monk will actually die and remain in their seated, upright, meditative position. So these individuals, they're devoted. They are so committed to their monastic life that they will pass away performing the rituals that characterize their religion. We also know that someone can be completely devoted to their country. All right, this is Bel Belisarius, all right, and he was a military general under the rule of Justinian I. He was an emperor in the Byzantine Empire, and Belisarius uh, was extremely successful in conquering vast territory for Justinian and the Byzantine Empire to the extent that he is argued to be the greatest military leader of his time. His devotion to Justinian and the Byzantine Empire was incredibly unique. Right? He led with power and influence, so much so that the Goths, who at that time were enemies of the Byzantine Empire, offered this man, Belisarius, kingship over them. However, because of the loyalty Belisarius had for his emperor and country, he declined and followed Justinian till the day he died. He served Justinian loyally, even though Justinian grew envious of his, sex, of his successful endeavors. And eventually, Justinian stripped Belarius of his command. But in a time of desperation that came a little bit later, this Belisarius was called back into command to save the empire, just to be imprisoned and shed of his command due to jealousy once again. Belisarius stayed loyal to his nation, even when his faithfulness was misconstrued by envy. So one could say that this man, this, this military commander, Belisarius, was fully devoted to his country. Tonight, we consider a believer's duty in devotion. 
Alright, tonight we consider our believer's duty in devotion. And our theme is that a believer is to be fully devoted to God. A believer is to be fully devoted to God. And our key verse, our memorable verse for this evening is Romans 12.1, which reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Romans 12.1 is a pivotal point in the book of Romans. I'm going to do a little bit of a context, a little bit of a build-up. It's not going to take very long, but I think it's critical. All right, if you take a look at the book of Romans as a whole... Paul lays out a robust presentation of the gospel and the truth that believers are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is the central theme of the letter to the Romans. The righteousness of God, that is the central theme. And Paul expounds upon the truth that God has provided a righteousness to follow mankind that is not based on what we can do, but what God has given through his Son. So, in the first 11 chapters, preceding verse, or chapter 12, verse 1, we see that Paul presents his argument in a full and very systematic manner. It's very thorough, and the argument is made clear, and it is fortified with truth and scriptural support. And we are saved by faith through the righteousness of God. The theology is presented, and it is presented well and extremely clear. So much so that it has been said that in law schools, the letter to Romans has been a requirement for studies and memorization because of its expert logic and argument. But as we know, theology should not simply end with the acquiring of knowledge, but rather the knowledge of God should move us to have some sort of reaction to God. And the reaction to the theme of Romans, to the righteousness of God presented by Paul in chapters 1 through 11, is now manifested in chapter 12. What are the practical implications to the theology presented? Well, we see that here. Paul begins to tell us with verse 1 of chapter 12. And that is where we're going to be rooted for the remainder of the evening. So look with me at our verse again for this evening. It begins, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So to start, we, be, we begin by taking note that Paul's call to devotion is rooted in the argument that he has previously laid out. Paul's call to devotion is rooted in the argument that he has previously laid out. All right, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... And when we see the word therefore, that should make us stop and really consider what has come before. It ties thoughts together. In light of what has been said, therefore, here is what is to be considered. So in the context of our passage this evening, Paul is saying, look at the argument that I have set forth. In chapters 1 through 11, I, Paul, have shown you what the righteousness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Now that, now that the theological basis has been set, here is what to be done. Here is what is to be done. I have laid the groundwork. I have set the foundation. Now here is how you are to build upon that foundation. So don't lose sight of that word, therefore. It's a small word sitting in there, but it carries significance and importance because it ties the letter together. Continuing on, we also see in these beginning words that Paul's call to devotion unto God is an urge. 
All right, Paul's call to devotion unto God is an urge. It is a plea. All right, I, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So this is an exhortation. It is an urge to respond. Paul is saying that in the previous chapters, my argument is sound. The truth of my message is sure. Here is your call to action. This is what needs to be done. Don't stay idle, but this message that comes before requires action. And this action, as we will see, is a significant calling and duty of each and every believer. But before we answer the question of what the action is that is required, I think it is important to really consider the subject of the exhortation. All right, Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. So the exhortation is directed to Christians. It is believers who are to be devoted fully unto God. This call to action is directed to those who have already realized the forgiveness of God through the righteousness of God. And you know, when you really consider to whom Paul is writing, it helps clarify the thrust of the passage. You see, with the recipient of the exhortation clear, we can take notice to what Paul is not trying to communicate, what he's not trying to communicate. Right? This urge is not directed to unbelievers. Paul is not calling unbelievers to repentance, and that is important to remember, that Paul is not calling unbelievers to repentance. This call, or this verse, is not a call to salvation. That is not the purpose of what Paul is saying. But it is interesting that it is believers who are being called to devote their lives to God. The language of devoting oneself as a living sacrifice, if not careful, it almost sounds like a call to unbelievers. Right? One who is dead in sin must repent and turn their lives over to God. They are the ones who need to give their lives fully unto God. And that is the language that is often used in encouraging unbelievers to faith in Christ. So the question arises, if we are already believers... Why do we need this urge to devote our lives to God? We already know that. We have already done that. We have already been saved by Christ and have dedicated our lives to our new master. It is the unbelievers who are in need of devoting their lives to Christ. Not us. Not us. But you see, that, that's not at all what Paul is saying. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, to give your lives fully to God. So what is he saying in all of this? What he is saying is that this isn't a matter of repentance, this is a matter of sanctification. What Paul is addressing in this verse and in the passages to follow is how a believer is to have a transformed life. A life that stands apart and changed by the blood of Christ. This is not a call to repentance, but it is a call to renewal and righteous living in light of the righteousness we have received from Christ. So that leads us to our very first point of application, and that is this. Just because you are saved does not mean that you are living fully for Christ. Just because you are saved does not mean that you are fully living for Christ. One can be saved, yet also be stunting their growth of, of sanctification in the process. It, right? it is easy, it is common to point fingers at, at unbelievers. To look at unbelievers and say that they are in need of a life devoted to Christ. But how often do we look at our own devotion to our Lord? How often do we point our fingers back at ourselves? Paul is addressing believers in this passage. It is the life of a believer that needs to be changed. 
I think it is, it is so easy to get into the mindset that we have already been bought with the blood of Christ. Therefore, we are now believers, and of course our lives are devoted to our Lord. But are our lives really devoted? Are we really living fully for God? How often do we live on an unstable and ever-changing ground of dedicating our lives to a multitude of desires and causes? If we are not careful, we breeze over this verse, thinking that our livelihood is already given completely to Christ. And this message is for those who are not as dedicated to Christ as we are. But as we continue with the verse, we, take, we will take a look at the extent of the devotion that is required of each and every believer. And as we peel apart the verse, we are going to see that we all fall well short of the standard that the Word of God puts forth. So let us self-reflect as we continue along in our verse this evening. So, as the verse continues, we see that devotion to God is a willful giving of one's whole self. All right? As the verse continues, we see that devotion to God is a willing giving of one's whole self. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is Paul's urge. This is Paul's call to action. This is the climax of the exhortation. It's present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's the big idea behind this verse. And what is unique is that this phrase carries very strong imagery to sacrificial language. And to help us understand the imagery here, I think it would be extremely valuable to break down the three terms used in this phrase. We have to present, we have bodies, and we have the sacrifice, which we are going to see is a living sacrifice, which is incredibly important to, to make the distinction there. So let's take the time now to break down these three parts of this phrase. So first we have the verb, to present. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present relays the meaning to consecrate, to devote, and to dedicate. This verb carries the imagery of offering a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was always brought to the Lord. It was always brought to the Lord. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2. All right, and just for context, this is the beginning of the passage that outlines the laws concerning offerings and sacrifices. It says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. You see, there is significance to the instruction to bring your sacrifice to God. Why? Because intentional action is commanded here. Intentional action. You had to physically go to the tabernacle or to the temple to offer sacrifices. And for many, that was, that was quite a hike. That consisted of many days' journey. All right? It was quite, quite a journey. You see, a priest didn't stop by your town and collect the offerings or the sacrifices and take them to the tabernacle or temple to sacrifice them. No, but it was, it was a willful action in which the people of Israel had to physically get up and bring their sacrifices to the Lord. It was a duty, and it was a privilege. It was to be done deliberately and thoughtfully. So, Paul instructs believers to partake in this willful action. 
And we see that clearly with the words, or with the verb to present. The tense of the verb shows pivotal action. Dedicating, devoting oneself to God is not based on theory or head knowledge. It takes action and discipline to carry through. It takes willful, conscientious giving of oneself to be devoted unto God. Consider with me the letter of James. All right, listen to the verses 14 through 17 of James chapter 2. It says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, faith requires action. Devotion to God requires action. Requires a physical giving of oneself to the will of God. Otherwise, it is not really devotion. See, the process of sanctification, the conformity to the image of Christ, it requires discipline and follow-through. It requires a presentation of our whole being, the believer's entire self. So look with me at what that sacrifice, what the offering actually is. It is the believer's entire self. Right? It is the believer's entire self. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your bodies as a living sacrifice. The use of the word bodies here is, is quite interesting. Why, why doesn't Paul say to simply present yourselves or your whole selves as a living sacrifice? All right, why does he say your bodies? Well, I believe it carries two pictures. And first, I think of sacrifices in the Old Testament. What had to be offered? All right, it was animal bodies. Animal bodies were slain, and it was the animal bodies that were dedicated on the altar. So when Paul says, present your bodies, it carries the imagery of this sacrificial illustration. We are giving of something. It's something has to be laid on the altar, and that something, that sacrifice, is our bodies. But further, the use of the word bodies signifies one's whole nature. Paul is saying to offer one's whole self unto God. It is both body and soul that are to be devoted unto God. Not part, not a fragment of who we are, but our whole selves. It is a total devotion to God. Metaphorically speaking, it is not just the arm that should help those in need. It is not just the words of the mouth that should be speaking kindness and love to our neighbors. It is not just the feet that should be bringing the gospel of peace to the world. It is our whole selves. It is our body, mind, and soul that should be dedicated to our Lord. And then finally, within this phrase, we get the nature of the offering. The nature of the offering. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. If present your bodies as a living sacrifice is the climax of this verse, then within this phrase, living sacrifice is the actual peak of the climax. This is the pinnacle. Right? Paul says to give your entire regenerated self as a continual dedication. He says to give your entire regenerated self as a continual dedication. 
The word sacrifice here means an offering. It is an offering dedicated unto God. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were commanded to be given unto God. It was a means by which God showed his holiness. If God was to dwell amongst his people Israel, then Israel needed to be holy. Why is that? It's because sin separates God from man. Thus, there needs to be some sort of atonement for the sin of the Israelites so that God could dwell with his people. God wanted his people to be holy, for God is holy. So, sacrifices needed to be offered as a covering for sin. Hebrews 9 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, something needed to actually die. Something needed to take the place of the sinner and be slaughtered to purify the sinner. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Rebellion against God is justly satisfied with the shedding of blood. Hence, we have the giving of sacrifices. Atonement was made through the slain of animals. But you see, this sacrifice is strikingly different from all the Old Testament sacrifices. And why is that? It is because the sacrifice of ourselves unto God is not the slaying of ourselves, but the living of a new life in Christ. This is a living sacrifice, and it is distinguishedly different than the sacrifices of the Old Testament. You see, the human body here is not given to be killed. It is not presented to die. It is presented to live. You see, the believer, you and I, we, we have already died with Christ. And Paul addresses this earlier in chapter 6 of Romans. He says, in verses 2 through 4 of chapter 6, he says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, baptism, the immersion of the believer, symbolizes this truth. We die with Christ, going under the water, and then we are raised back into new life with Christ. Christ, was made, Christ has made the ultimate death sacrifice, all right, atoning for us so that we can be living sacrifices. You see, the sacrificial imagery, it's, it's really a beautiful picture. And the picture here can even be expounded upon more. For think back to the use of the word bodies. Right? Our bodies are the sacrifices that are given. We said that the sacrifice that is given unto God is our bodies. That is what is put on the altar, if you will. But with the idea of the sacrifice of our bodies being alive, we get a brighter and a more uh, a beautiful picture here. It is, it is more radiant, for we are giving unto God our regenerated bodies, leaving our dead bodies behind. Consider this. When, when we die with Christ, our bodies of sin were put to death. Right? Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And when we are raised with Christ, we were raised so that we may, as Romans 6, 4 says, walk in newness of life. So, so there's the truth that when an unbeliever becomes a believer, they undergo the process of regeneration. That is where we often hear the term born again. And the way Paul describes this process of being born again is to actually consider two bodies. One body that was dead in sin and of which was disposed of with Christ. 
Then the other body that is a regenerated body, one that is alive and ready to fulfill the will of God, a body that is no longer bound to sin, a body that is no longer dead to sin. So when Paul exhorts us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he is talking about offering our alive bodies, our new bodies, if you will, not, not our dead ones, but our bodies of life that is actually capable of carrying out the tasks of our God that our God requires in order to bring him glory. And when that is understood, the imagery of this sacrifice becomes brighter and more radiant. Why? Because God has equipped us to carry out his work. We are, al we are alive now. We, we are equipped. We are ready to act. A living sacrifice is ready to serve God actively. We give of ourselves for the service of the Lord. This is what we devote. This is what we give as an offering to the Lord, our complete newness of life. But as we continue in the verse, this action of devotion cannot be carried out irrationally or irresponsibly. For we need to consider what constitutes as an appropriate living bodily sacrifice. So in other words, how is a living sacrifice or devotion to God to be offered? Right? How is a living sacrifice or devotion to God to be offered? Well, the next part of this verse tells us that our devotion should be set apart and pleasing unto the Lord. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God. And these words literally mean separate from the common condition, and it means pleasing. So our offering of our bodies should be set apart and pleasing unto the Lord. You see, the sacrifices of the Old Testament are really, really kind of neat and fascinating to consider. First, take into consideration the condition of the animals that were to be given as an offering. All right, the condition of the animals. No ordinary animal could be given as a sacrifice to the Lord. Deuteronomy 7 verse uh, 17 verse 1 says this, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. No blemish or defect. All right, that's what it says. For if an offering had such conditions, what does the scripture say? It says it is an abomination. It was loathsome. It was completely inappropriate to give to God. It was, it was disgusting to give such a holy God such an impure sacrifice. For if a blemished animal was actually given willfully, then it is clear what the heart shows. The heart behind the offering then shows no dignity. It shows no fear for the Lord. The offering is just a passing thought. It has no meaning. It shows no reverence for who the holy God is. But a pure offering, a pure offering, a right offering, an animal without blemish, what do the scriptures say about the conditions of an animal such as that? This is where Leviticus comes in. And Leviticus 1.9 says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. A pleasing aroma to the Lord. A right sacrifice satisfies God. It is a... It is sweet to God. 
The word pleasing here actually carries the meaning of soothing. It's, it's quieting. It's uh, tranquilizing in a, in a sense. So the aroma, it brings joy. It brings delight and, and, and a soothing to God. When, when God's word is followed, when believers commit their lives to God, it brings God delight. So, being fully devoted unto God means to follow his law, to stand apart from the world, and to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And remember, this is a, a willful action. It is a deliberate action. To be a holy and acceptable living sacrifice means we are to be actively pursuing the mind and will of God as revealed in his scriptures. To walk away from our body of death and to take our body of life and serve God with it fully. And as we move on to the last part of the verse, a question may arise. We know that full devotion unto God is not easy. All right? We are sinful creatures. We are inclined to turn to the temptations of sin. This urge, this plea from Paul is a tall order. All right? And with such a commitment to be fully devoted unto God, the question may spark in our minds why. Why must I be so committed and offer myself as a sacrifice to be used by God in any way that seems fitting to him? Why must I be devoted? Well, Paul tells us why. Look with me at the final phrase of our verse this evening. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Which is your spiritual worship. The word used for spiritual here is actually quite unique. It is not the typical word that is translated as spiritual. It has carried several different translations throughout the different Bible translations out there. And uh, some Bible translations has, have translated this as the word rational, uh, appropriate, and reasonable. And when coupled with this other word, worship, or also known as service, this phrase really comes to life. What Paul is saying is that being fully devoted unto God is the appropriate response to the mercy shown unto us. It is the appropriate response to the mercy shown unto us. What God has done, through, uh, done for us through Christ is reason enough to devote one's life to him. Uh, we skipped over it for a reason, and, and it is because we're coming back to it now. But look with me back near the beginning of this verse. All right, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. All right, by the mercies of God. All the mercy that is shown by God to us through his son's death on the cross should yield us to give our lives fully unto him. That is the answer to why we should devote our lives to God. Because while we were dead in sin, God sent his son to be our savior and rescue us from the clutches of death. God's mercy is great. And the only fitting response to that great mercy is to devote our lives to the one who bought us. Listen to what uh, Robert Mounts says concerning this phrase. And you can follow along if you would like. He says this. In view of God's acts of mercy, it is extremely fitting that we commit ourselves without reservation to him. To teach that accepting the free gift of God's grace does not necessarily involve a moral obligation on our part is a heresy of gigantic proportions. The popular cliche 
he is Lord of all or not Lord at all is absolutely right. God deserves our devotion. His mercy is great, and there is no better way to respond than to dedicate our lives fully unto him. In any sort of uh, competition, there's usually awards presented near the end, all right? When the competition has taken its course, there are typically winners at the end. And during these presentation, there is a podium that the top three competitors stand upon, right? And what place is the highest on the podium? Out of the three positions, we know that first place sits the highest. First place is honored with the highest physical condition or the physical position. Why? Because of the great act that they have accomplished. They get that honor because of the great act that they have accomplished. You see, God's action of mercy deserves the greatest honor that we can offer here on earth. A life fully devoted unto him. But we know this is hard. All right. it, is a, it is difficult to be fully committed to God, but God does not leave us alone, for we cannot do this apart from God. To be fully devoted to God is impossible without his continued mercy shown to us. Ezekiel 26 verses 25, or 36 verses 25 through 27 read this way. It says, I will sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, God's mercy to us does not end with the work of his son. But he sustains us and carries us through with the working of his spirit. Right. Paul does not leave the Romans with this exhortation and then finish the letter completely. No, but the mercy of God, by the mercy of God, the word of God builds out more instruction and practical implication of how a life given to God should appear. And that is in the following verses. That is in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and following. And perhaps not for tonight because we don't have time, but maybe another time we'll, we'll do a study on that. But that, that's how the book of Romans continues. So as we prepare to close, I would like to leave you with three points of application. Three points of application. And my first one is this. Doctrine requires action. Doctrine requires action. Uh, Paul David Tripp, he is a current Christian author and pastor, and he wrote a little blurb, or perhaps it was an article that was entitled, The Importance of Doctrine. The Importance of Doctrine. And in this article... He explains the purpose of doctrine, and he lays out three points of why doctrine is so important. And this was one of his three points. He's, it was this. It was the final point. It's, it was this. It says, every doctrine provides a means to an end. Every doctrine provides a means to an end. And I would like to read what he says about this point, and you can follow along if you would like up there. It says... It's very important to remind ourselves that the doctrines of the Bible were never intended to be an end in themselves, but rather a means to an end. The doctrines God has revealed have a greater purpose than to give you a big theological brain, and they're meant to provide more for you than just an outline and a theological confession. Doctrine is meant to be a means to an end, and the end is a transformed life. 
Doctrine calls up for transformation. And transformation is actually the theme of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the verse following the one we just looked at tonight. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, lays out a masterful argument in Romans chapter 1 through 11 of how one is saved by faith through the righteousness of God. However, Romans ends not, however, Romans does not end at, at chapter 11, but Paul continues urging his fellow believers to act upon the truth that God has revealed. So my question is, how often are we satisfied with simply reading our Bible or sitting under a sermon? Coming to an understanding of what God's Word says is a good thing. I do not want to diminish that in any way, but what I am urging is action. Action based on the truth that God has revealed to us. Don't let, as, as Tripp says, a big theological brain be your desired outcome alone. But may our, your love for the Word of God drive you to act. For only through action can one be fully devoted unto God. And that leads us to our next point of application. And, it, and that point is this. Devotion is a full life commitment. Devotion is a full life commitment. Paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is our full bodies that are to live for Christ. Not just parts and pieces. Not just during spiritual highs are we to be devoted to God. But devotion is a full life commitment. It is so easy to be swayed by the distractions of the world. To let our lives become so busy and cluttered that we only pick up our Bibles when we have the time. But you see, our lives should be defined by the opposite. The Word of God and our dedication to our Lord should always be forefront and first in our lives. So my question is simply, what are you willing to offer as a sacrifice unto God? Perhaps that answer is Sundays. I'm willing to give God my Sundays, but the rest of the week... I'm busy and my desires will come first. Perhaps that answer is a convenient service. I'm willing to serve God as long as the comforts and conveniences of the world can come with me. As long as I am not ridiculed or ever feel uncomfortable. Perhaps the answer to that question is youth events. I'm willing to be a servant of the Lord on service projects in which the youth participates or in which the YF participates. I'm willing to be with them when they meet, but once I go back to school or home, I live for myself. I do not take the lessons I've learned with me. And I don't want to sound like these actions are bad, for it is good to work towards the kingdom of God. It is good to attend church events and Sunday services, but, that is, but if that is where we stop, then are we truly offering our whole selves as a sacrifice unto God? Like I said earlier, Romans 12, verse 2, it speaks of transformation. Right? As children of God, we are to be conformed to the will of God. And the picture of that verse shows time. It is a gradual change, but it is a change nonetheless. Are we seeking for our whole selves to be changed into the image of Christ? Is that what dictates our everyday life? Paul urges us to devote our whole bodies into the service of our Lord. May we give him all that we have, for he is completely worthy. And that leads us into our final point. It is a privilege to devote our lives unto God. It is a privilege to devote our lives unto God. 
In Christian service or serving, I, I often hear of the sacrifices that need to be made to serve God. Right? You sacrifice time, you sacrifice sleep, you sacrifice comfort. And while this is true, devotion requires sacrifice, we need to raise the joy of service to a higher level. All right? We need to raise the joy of service to a higher level. The offering of ourselves is not so much a sacrifice as it is a privilege. It is an honor to give ourselves to God. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. All right, as sons of God, we should be delighted to serve the Lord. What Christ has done for us should move us. It should excite us to step out and be used by God in any way that he, seems, that he sees fit. It should move us to willful action. Christ shed his blood for us so that we can be set free from the guilt and consequences of sin. To offer ourselves back to him fully devoted is the least we can do for the one who conquered sin and death for us. Isaiah 53, uh, the great prophecy of the Messiah's sufferings, uh, what pastor's walking through right now in Sunday school, and Sunday school listen to, to the last verse of Isaiah 53. It says, do not have it up there. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says this, Therefore I will divide him, that being Jesus Christ, a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. You see, Christ deserves our conformity and our devotion. For to the victor goes the spoils. Let us serve our master and king with joy and gladness, for he is completely worthy. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to, to listen and to study your word. We pray that our lives will be fully devoted unto you, that we will give everything that we have to your service. I pray that we won't be distracted by the world about the, the, the distractions that it has to offer, but that you will come first, that you will be first in our lives, and that everything that we do, will, uh, we will seek to be transformed into, into the image of Christ. I pray that that will take precedence. I pray that that will be first in, in all aspects of our lives. I pray for the working of the Spirit to, to carry us through. I thank you for the, for, for the helper that he is. I pray that we will rely fully upon, upon your gift of the Spirit. And, as we go, go forth this week, I pray that we'll keep it forefront, that you deserve all the glory, that you deserve all the praise, for you are worthy. You are worthy of our sacrifice of, our, of ourselves. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.